0: Right, Uh, okay, so we are starting, today is the 7th of April, May, make sure I get on the right month here, May the 7th, uh, we're starting the book of Colossians chapter 1, if you're listening on, on the tape, and I want to go ahead and read verses 1 through 8. And then we'll go back through our handout that we have this morning. So Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word ...of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love... So we're going to stop right there. And so I know two weeks ago I did my introduction to the book in general, but today we're going to look at the introduction in the book. And so then the introduction in the book is what we just read, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And so what we see here is a personal letter written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy to a church. Now what's the purpose of this? The purpose of the latter was to encourage them and teach them in God's Word. That's it right there. So you can just close up your our Bible and call it a day. That's what the whole purpose is. And so if you remember a couple weeks ago as we went through the introduction, I, sh- I announced that chapters 1 and 2 are doctrinal in the book of Colossians. So we're going to get some biblical truth and teaching out of the first two chapters. And then chapters 3 and 4 are practical. They're how to take that teaching and how to use it in your life. Now that's what's so cool about the Bible. The Bible not only teaches you what God wants us to know, but it wants to show you how you take that and use it in your own life. It's very practical. And so this book breaks down real simple. Some Bible teachings and how you use it in your life. And I'm a... I'm a I tell everybody I'm short and I'm kind of sweet and I'm simple. And and they're probably like, yeah, we know you're simple. But (laughs) I don't know about the sweet part. But I like things black and white, you know. I, I, I just want to see the truth in the matter. And the Bible is so much like that, you know. It's just what does it say and how can I use it? Nothing more than that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But now I want you guys to think about, and I gave you guys some homework too, so I haven't forgot about it. Um, I want you to think about this letter. This letter is written to a church to give them some information. And so how many of you all have ever been on a uh, uh, ministry trip somewhere? Several of us. Most of us, like a mission trip. Uh, maybe you went and helped another church or you helped do this or do that. You've went somewhere to teach the Bible. And so, um, and then you came back home. Maybe you went on a discipleship trip. We haven't had discipleship trips here for a long time, have we? We used to do trips and churches I've been in before would go, they would take a trip to another church somewhere and they would teach them what discipleship is to a church that didn't have discipleship like we did. And so I've been there. I've done that. I've been on overseas. I've been different places. And then you come, you make a rapport with people and then you come back home and it's like, man, I care about these people that I've met. And so you kind of lose track. You know, you don't, I don't call over to, to Uganda and talk to the guys I was at on my phone. But when I got back, Home, I'm like, you know, after a month or two, I'm like, man, I'd like to write to these people. Nobody writes anymore. Mm -hmm. Of course, now we have email. But I mean, I would like to write to these people and just give them some, give them some truth. That's what Paul does here in this letter. Okay. And he hasn't even seen these people yet. He's only heard of them. But he's going to write them a letter and he wants them, he wants them to know about God. And they, he wants them to, to walk it. That's what he's basically going to put in this letter. So make this book a personal book to you. That's my point. Put ourselves in this position. And you can be either in Paul and Timothy's place or the people in Colossae's place. And right now I'd say you know we, we're all in the, in the church at Colossae's place and Paul is writing to us some information that he wants us to know. He wants us to know it, and then he wants us to use it in our life. And, and then when we get that down, then we kind of think, wow, so this book is a personal book written to us. We are a New Testament church. Paul's given us some writings. and every one of Paul's New Testament churches, you will find that he gives them some information that they need, that they need so they can live their life for Christ. And so in the book of Colossians, he's going to lay some things out that this church needs. And this church is very close to the church at Laodicea. Five times the book of Laodicea is mentioned in this book. And so we know we live in the Laodicean church period. So the truth that we find in this book of Colossians is going to hit us right between the eyes. So that's one reason I wanted to study this book because it's very important to where we are in church history it's very important to the church and since I know we we are all in the church and we're all very close to the rapture this book is going to be very practical now I know you guys hear me say that on every book I go to I just started reading the book of Isaiah in my in my uh personal bible time and in the first chapter of Isaiah it's like judgment and and God's coming and I'm like you can't get away from it. Every book in the Bible is about God's judgment and He's coming back to judge things. And so, it's, it's the Old Testament, New Testament. It makes no difference. But in the book of Colossians, we're going to have a personal letter that Paul wrote to the church. And I would say that's us. Okay? And so we see the introduction, like I said, in verses 1 through 8. And it's from Paul and Timotheus. Now Paul is an apostle because that's what it says in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what's an apostle? A sent one. A sent one. Okay, we've been taught that, haven't we? And so it's a taught one. It's a um, it's a messenger. And in fact, in Second uh, Corinthians eight twenty three, let's go look there. Second Corinthians eight twenty three. Says this Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the what's it say? The messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. So that word messenger and apostle can be interchanged. But apostle is even a little more than just a messenger. Okay, So we have a few lines here. Um, so the, the word messenger I just read in 2 Corinthians 8.23 is the same root word as apostle. Okay, And so an apostle is a sent one, like Roger said, one sent forth and commissioned by Christ specifically. So now I'm I'm going to get back to the nitty-gritty, okay? It's kind of hard to just nail this down 100%. So we know that an apostle is is a sent one, is a messenger, but he's also commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is also one who is an eyewitness of Christ after the resurrection, And it is also one who is given the ability to do signs and wonders. So that really limits down what an apostle is or who an apostle is. And so um, it really boils down to the twelve and Paul. Now there are some ministers along this period with Paul that were given the ability to do signs and wonders. But they wasn't physically commissioned by Christ Himself, so they quite don't fit the bill here. But an apostle is one sent forth, commissioned by Christ, at given the ability to do signs and wonders. So do we have any apostles today? Yeah. You know, I hear people all the time go, well, this guy is an apostle in our church. Is he doing signs and wonders? If he is, let me give you some advice. Run. Because they are not biblical. Um, you know, I I, I remember once uh, uh, this guy asked my one of the pastors I was under, he says, uh, do you believe in signs and wonders? He goes, yeah. But they're just not for today. And I never forgot that. And I'm like, they are biblical. Now, that, I know the guy was probably asking about today, but he's like, they had their time. Okay. Same way with these apostles. There was they, they ran their course. Okay? And so but Paul, let's see if he meets those requirements. Did he see Christ physically after the resurrection? Yes. Yes. He saw him on where he saw him several places, but number one, on the road to Damascus, he physically saw him. Uh he also when he was in Jerusalem on that third at the end of that third missionary trip, he had come back to Jerusalem and the Lord appeared to him that night and told him, hey, even though you're in a pickle, you're going to get through this. Okay? I don't think he... I don't know if he used the word pickle. But uh, situation... Whatever. But anyway, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Was he given the ability to do signs and wonders? Yeah. So he fits the bill along with the 12 apostles. Okay? And so Paul's an apostle and he says, by the will of God... Now, I'm hoping everyone in here has been through Discipleship 1. Because in Discipleship 1, we have a lesson about the will of God, right? And so God's will and God's plan for your life is a little different. But let me give you a few, uh, uh, let me give you a few verses that go along with, with Paul here. Number one, go back to the book of Acts. Because again, I know you guys are from Missouri, and I have to show you this. Okay, Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. In fact, let's just back it up to verse 13. I'm sorry, Paul, I had to do that. Uh, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done by the saints at Jerusalem. Now, this time Ananias is about to pee his pants because the Lord sending him to Paul. And he's like, you sure I'm, he's kind of, he's doing this. He's like, Lord, are you talking to me? (laughs) Are you sure, are you talking to me? The Lord's like, yes, I'm talking to you. And and verse 14 says, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. You know, God's will for Paul was number one, to get saved. Number two, was to be a, uh, an apostle to go and get the gospel to who? To the Gentiles, to kings, and the children of Israel. Notice who was first. Gentiles. And I know, I think I'm talking to the choir in here. Uh, You know, every time when Paul went back to Israel or when he's talking with when he's kinda getting those out of order, he got in trouble. Did you ever notice that? And it's like God allowed it, but he paid the cost. Okay. But uh by the will of God defined, for Paul was here in Acts nine fifteen, but for us, we already know God's will for us is to accept his Son as our Lord and Savior. So let me give you some verses some verses that go in your blank. Number 1 is 1 Timothy 2:4. The second verse is Romans 8:29. Romans 8:29. And then the one of the big verses that that we all use a lot is 2 Peter 3:9. God is not slack concerning his promise. You know, not willing that any should perish. That's God's will right there. Um, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And I'm there, so let me just read this. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we should know this by heart. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable in God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, what is God's will for your life? Number one, to accept Him as Lord and Savior, but to be transformed into His Son. We are to be conformed into the image of Christ. Now, I've got a little pet peeve in this verse. I've heard people say, well, this is a really good message because uh, uh, God's there's three of God's wills right here. Uh, let me get back to where I'm at. Um, that you may prove what is that good. An acceptable and perfect will of God, and you—well, there's three wills for your life. You may preach good, but it's not good Bible. Have you heard people say that? No, but Brian on Wednesday night just—we just went over that. I don't know. the target. He—he he drew right, it, and I—I right. I never looked at it the way he explained it. So okay. it really showed me something different because you could be good, or you could be acceptable, or you could be in a perfect will. So where are you at on that target? Are you in the goodwill? It's all the will of it's God. A, it's all the will of God, but where are you at? Where are you at in that will? In that, will? that, in that well, will. I've never looked at it that way. So okay. That really showed me, oh. You know, okay, looking at it that way, I can see. But when I, when I hear people say, well, there's three wills. These are the three wills. And I'm like, uh, well, number one, if it's good, it's only good if it's from God, because he's the only one that's good. So we're talking about the same will. Okay, so by the will of God defined, so uh, let me give you a couple more verses. In fact, let's turn to these. Isaiah chapter 43. What is the will of God for your life? Okay, so we've been at the New Testament. It's to be, accept Christ as your Savior. It's to be conformed unto the image of Christ. Isaiah 43 and verse 7 says... Everybody there? Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Now, uh, let's jump down to verse 21. 21 says, This people have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. So, if you really want to get technical, especially in the Old Bible, in the Old Testament, we are God's will for people is to be give Him honor and glory, and yet that's really our 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 reason that God created us. He created us to give Him honor and glory. And so all of that kind of fits in to the will of God. So all this is from uh, Paul, talking about Paul. And then and the second person here he talks about is Timothy. And he goes, oh yeah, and Timothy too. (laughs) So we know a little bit about Timothy. And so I'm not going to rehash that. But he does call him our brother. Okay, but you'll see that in a lot of his opening statements. Um, So it's from Paul and timotheus paul an apostle and one um in the will of god or by the will of god so that was a let's look at point b it says to the so that's who it's from and it's to the saints and faithful brethren at Colossae. now again this is similar to some of paul's other books now when you start looking at the format here you see paul talking to this group And what we're going to see in the introduction is, hey guys, I am so proud of you. I I am so proud of what you're doing. I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. And when you have somebody tell you that, you know there's a but coming. But, let me give you some more information here. That's kind of what we see here with Paul. But you know what, that's a good way to do it. When you have to address somebody or you want to give them some more information... Tell them what they're doing right. And then just, you know, maybe tell them. And here it's not necessarily what they're doing wrong, but what was creeping into the church that was wrong. So he's, he's trying to build them up a little bit. And he says, To the faints and faithful brethren at Colossae. Now what is a saint? Somebody who's saved. Somebody who's saved. Is, did you get that from the Catholic Church? Absolutely not. Cause you're not a good Catholic boy, right? No, I'm here. You're here. My son will be listening to this. He goes, you're still picking on Roger. Stop picking on Roger. Uh, I'll pick on Dave. I'll pick on, Yeah, I don't know. I'll pick on whoever I can pick on. But if I pick on you, that means I like you. Uh, well that's what the Catholics will say. A saint is somebody who they want to exonerate. Hey, a saint, Um I, I heard this once. I heard this once and, and it was in a Catholic church and I got a really good definition of what a saint is from a little boy that went to a Catholic church. He, he goes to the Catholic church and he's, I don't know if Catholic people, they have Sunday schools for their kids? Anybody know? I don't know. Well, anyway, there's this little kid there and he was asked the question, what is a saint? And he looked up at the wall and he says, a saint is someone that the light shines through. Well, they had all their saints in on the colored glass windows. And he didn't realize it, but what he said was biblically true. Because you can't have light in you unless you're saved. And so a saint really is someone that the light shines through. Uh so I don't know if that helps you out or anything, but but First uh, Corinthians chapter one two. So let's bounce back to there. First Corinthians one two. We're going to check out and see if Roger is right with his definition. First Corinthians chapter one and two. So if you have any Catholic friends that says, hey, can you tell me what a saint is? Take them right to the Bible, and it says verse one, First Corinthians. Make sure I'm in the right... Yep. It says, Paul called to be an apostle. Well, we've seen that before. Of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. And I'm going to point out, Paul always has a team around him. That's awesome. He always surrounds himself with, with with men, and he always is teaching men. And I think I think Brian does a really good job with that here at our church, Pastor Brian. Verse 2 says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctioned in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, Both theirs and ours. So there's a really good biblical definition of what a saint is. A saint is someone who has accepted Christ as their savior. Okay? A saint is someone who is born again believer. So, back in in the book of Colossians. Okay? In the book of Colossians he says to the saints and faithful brethren at Colossae. Okay? Verse 2. Now let me ask you. Is this one group or two? To, to why Why would you say two? Because there's people in the church who are not saved or faith. that are faithful. Or faithful. That's, that's kind of a sad statement. Uh, but I do believe it's two statements here. Here's what is is this group? To the saints and faithful brethren. Now, it can be one group. But unfortunately, it can also be two groups. And I point that out because we want to make sure that we are both saved and faithful. It's not really sad. I mean, there should be lost people in your church. You just don't want them to stay lost. Okay, but again, I don't see any lost people in this statement. Okay. I mean, we're talking about saved people and faithful people. Not all saved people are faithful how many people have we seen come through the doors of this that have professed Christ as their Savior and yet they're just kind of out there now? But they're not faithful. Because it says saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Yeah, right. So both of these groups are in Christ. So, it, again, my mind just starts whirling because i got a weird brain and I'm like, is this one group or two groups? And it depends on the person, I believe. You can be a... Saved person, but you can be faithful or unfaithful, and we all know that. And we can be that same way in our life. So it says to the saints and faithful brother in a Colossi. Um, so how did they, the Colossians, get in Christ? So we're, we're talking about a group of people that Paul's never met. How did they even get saved? How did they even form a church? And the only thing we know is down in verse 7 that we read, it says as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. So apparently this guy Epaphras is the one that brought the gospel to the church, to Colossae and probably even started the church there. Well, when they were sent out studied earlier what from Acts mm-hmm. how they all went out and that's probably what, that's they, what we're assuming that when Paul was in Ephesus and taught for two years that Epaphras was one of those he was teaching and they took the gospel back to the valley the r- little river valley there of Laodicea Colossae and I think the other one was Her- Heropolis if I remember right so we know that and it says that so to the sa- to the saints and faithful brethren so we know what a scene is, we know it, they can be faithful or not, and we also know that they became saved, the church was started there, and it doesn't really 100% show it, but we believe it's from Epaphras, okay? And so let's look at some introductory remarks. He says, grace be unto you and peace, and you have a blank in your handout, from, goes in your blank from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, this statement's just loaded with things. So we're going to look at it for a minute. Okay? So, uh, we've got grace. What is a definition of grace? Does anybody have a good definition of grace? Um. Yes. Yeah. I've got an acronym for it. And what is your acronym? God's Riches. At Christ's expense. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Grace means favor. And so the acronym that Roger said, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we have. We have grace with God because of what Christ did for us. Okay. Um, let me give you a verse to write down. Romans chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 7. Okay. Okay, so we pretty well know that. And then it says grace and peace. Now what's the definition of peace? Jesus. Yes, I like both of those. Um, but you gotta have Jesus to have peace. So peace definition is rest. Now, that's not exactly all of it though. Cause you know, you, you see people on TV, in a movie, and the guy dies and they go, well now he's, he's at least he's at rest. Really? Not necessarily, right? And so, um that peace definition means rest, but it also means having unity. Having what? Unity. Unity. Okay. So turn over to Romans chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Says, Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to have peace in this life. Or afterlife without Christ. And so yeah, it kind of really gets me when the guy goes, oh, you know, may you be in peace. Well, only if he knows Christ. Because you have people unfortunately that do commit suicide and they think they're going to be at rest. And that thought that they get comes straight from hell and Satan himself because it's this final trick he can play on them. Just kill yourself and you'll have peace. Lie straight from him they won't happy pe- it'll be worse than what it is here if we could get people that want to commit suicide that thought that truth in their mind it's like well hey the last thing i want then is death but i do need something in my life and so uh if we could get that across because you know there's countless people that commit suicide and they think they're going to have peace and they don't it's it's going to be complete torture and torment so again it says uh Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One person or two? I know, I know I'm asking questions and you're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? What, what do you have this question? Is it one person or two? One person, but it's two-thirds of the Godhead. Yeah. So the answer is yes. <laughs> I know, it's like I'm looking at this. So it's but he goes, Grace and grace be unto you and peace from so we got that. Uh on your second page there, number two, it says, We give thanks to God. Two goes in your blank. So it was from God, but now he goes, We're praying we were we were thanking God for you, now we are praying God praying to God for you. Okay, And it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in our prayers for you. Verse 3. Again, are we talking about one person or two? And did you notice they kind of swapped? Because now it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of Jesus Christ. Before he says, We... Uh, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A little, a little play on words. But anyway, so uh, for our prayers. For, so you so we're talking about one person or two. And again, loaded question. And he goes, and then uh, he gives uh, one, two, three, four things here. He talks about these people. He goes, now, this is what we're praying God for. He goes number one, A, he says giving thanks for your faith. Okay? Verse four. Their steadfastness in Christ. Giving thanks for their love. Love goes in your next blank of the saints. Giving thanks for their love of the saints specifically. So number one, as a Christian, our first priority is 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 the Lord then it's other uh, it's our family, and then it's other Christians first before we go anywhere else. And so he goes, he's giving thanks for the love of the saints, and he's giving thanks for their hope. Now that's in verse 5 uh, of Colossians, chapter 1, 5 says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherein... Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So he's building them up. He's basically saying these are some things I'm, we're praying for you, but these are things we're already seeing in you. We're seeing that you, uh, uh, your faith, is steadfast in Christ. We're, we're seeing that your love of the saints, and we're seeing and thanking God for your hope. Now, hope is a, a biblical hope is a done deal. It's not as the world uses it, you know. Like, I hope it rains today. When you put your hope in Christ, it's like it is a sealed deal here. Uh, it's just another way of saying your trust. It's waiting for God's word to be completed. And I got a verse for you, so you might write this down. Second Timothy four eight. In fact, let's let's turn there and look at that. Second Timothy four eight. Says, back up to verse seven, Paul's speaking. He goes, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Kind of along the same line that he's talking about the church of Colossae. Verse eight, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, who shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also but unto all them also that love his appearing. So he's giving thanks for their hope he's giving thanks for uh uh their 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 life basically their life service to the lord and then uh, the last thing on our list he's giving thanks for their fruit because when you live your life for the lord you're going to have fruit there okay all of these are in the past and present that's what goes in your blank all of these that we've seen are in the past and present tense that the church of crossy is already doing so that brings us up to what we're going to study next is the the meat of the book is what paul wants to give this church He goes, this is what you're doing, you're doing everything great, but I have somewhat more to give you here. And we're going to see that coming up. So I know some of you guys, I gave you some homework to look at Colossians chapter 1 and just tell me or write down something that you see is very important, very specific that you may see in your life. Anybody? He told me we were just supposed to read Colossians. Or was to read the whole book. Oh, that's good too. I may have said that too. Anybody else? Anybody actually do it? The homework was I think I did ask for people to read the book, read chapter 1, and write down something that you see in chapter 1 that is very important, or something that you saw. I had verse 10. Verse 10 what's that the Lord wants us to walk worthy and all pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God so it's kind of like he wants us to become like him and walk worthy okay we're going to see that I think next week it's it was like in 9 when I was talking about <clears throat> being filled and usually we hear being filled with the spirit this is being filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding and that Oh no, that struck me differently. Okay, no, that's that's probably uh, the two you two ladies hit right on, you know, what he's trying to to expound in this book because he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of God, and he wants us to walk. And again, our outline, chapter one and two are teaching, chapter three and four is now this is how you do it. Okay, so yeah, that's good. Um, so, when he's talking about the knowledge, is that the same as? I mean, the spirit's going to be the one that enlightens. Or... Yes, so, the, spirit's the, gonna, the spirit's going to the spirit's going to give you that. In other words, it's it's learning more about the Lord, uh, and the Book of Colossians is going to give us some things. Like, for instance, um, verse fifteen of chapter one says, "Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn every creature? For by him were all things created." Okay, that's great. Uh, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things and by Him all things. But your Bible say, next. You're not following along. Consist. All the other, a lot of Bibles will take that word consist out. That word consist means to to continue to, to be. He didn't just create it and walk off. He created it and He keeps it all going. And you got people so worried about global warming. Oh, our planet's coming to an end. It's going to die. We're going to do this. This is going to happen. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who keeps this world going, not them. I always go back to Genesis 8.22, where it says... Um, When people talk to me about global warming, I go back to the promise he made. Ah, okay, with with Noah? Yeah. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter, and the day and night shall not cease. Yeah, very good. Those two verses will probably just wipe them off the map. Take the smile off their face. Or maybe put one on it. No, it's it's what verse was that in Genesis? Uh, yeah. So that goes along with it. That's that's very good. So all things were created by Christ and for Christ. All things consist by Christ. Uh back up in verse uh fourteen it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. A lot of Bibles will take the blood out of that verse too. So we're going to look at all that coming up, but uh, that's just chapter 1. But what was happening in the church of Colossae, from what we can get, what Paul writes about is, is that uh, a certain kind of philosophy or, or man's knowledge is getting in the church and uh, causing problems, and that's why he talks about Christ is the head. We are complete in Christ. We don't need anything else. Christ is what we need. And yet, uh, when you look at churches all down through church history, and even today, philosophy is huge. Uh, Gnosticism is coming in this, and we'll see that coming up. Gnosticism was Jewish Gnosticism, uh, uh, Greek Gnosticism. It was basically that a certain group of people had the knowledge, and only they had the ability to understand the knowledge. And so, and if you didn't have a high IQ... You just wasn't part of the chosen few. If you don't have, if you can't understand the original Greek and Hebrew, you're probably not saved either. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that type of attitude, Roger, has been mixed in ever since the, the, the church at Colossae. Right. And so this book is trying to combat that. And that's why he talks about beware of philosophy in chapter two. And so we'll see that coming up. I remember, I, I uh, I preached on Colossians chapter 2 in Mexico and I was using the word beware. Beware of these things because they're so superstitious in Mexico. And the problem was, there wasn't a problem, but the, the Joe Hendricksman's the pastor and he's translating for me. There's not a good word that says in Spanish that's, that means b- beware. So so, And I was using beware, beware a lot. And I'm like, beware of this, beware of that, beware of this. And he's sitting there just about to have a cow. <laughs> he's like, there's... And then later he told me, he goes, there's not a good word that means beware in Mexican. And I said, well, what do you use? And he told me something that I didn't understand, but I thought it was funny. But uh so we remember those things. But he says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men. All that he talks about in here. And that's the same thing that's going on in our world today. That's what. Nothing is new under the sun. The same problems they had in the church at Colossae, we have in the church today. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of Colossians, Lord. I just pray that we would glean the truth out of this book to help live our lives, to give us the knowledge we need and to be able to take that knowledge and live it on our everyday life, Lord, and give an answer to the people around us of who you are. So we pray for that. Give us open doors this week, Lord. Give us the words to say in Christ's name we pray. Amen.